interesting topics to kick off your weekend. Looking at the news with an eye of faith. This is Friendly Fire with Stu Kearns on the Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. Good Saturday morning. It's a Friendly Fire Saturday. Stu Kearns, your host. Glad to have you along. It is the kickoff here to a big Memorial Day weekend. And uh, so I hope you got some plans. We finally got some decent weather coming our way. That's nice. And uh, I've, I've got a family coming into town, so that's going to be exciting. I hope you've got something fun planned for your weekend, too. And uh, for the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be gone. Substitute teacher here on Friendly Fire. Uh, Dan Alberts is going to uh, do a program or two. And uh, I'm going to be out in Wyoming uh, doing what everybody does in Wyoming, uh, running a half marathon uh, just around the Grand Tetons with my daughter. And uh, will it be fast? No. No, it will not. It will be very slow. So why do we do it? Well, because we can. And we're going to do it as long as we can. And I'm going to do it with my daughter. And it's going to be epic. So uh, I'm going to assume it's going to be the slowest half marathon I've ever done at 6,500 feet. And, uh, and I don't care. We're just going to do it and have fun and stare at the mountains and be together. And I hope you have something fun to do next week as well. Uh, it is a great to have in studio with me. Every once in a while, just got to get uh, Pastor Tom in here from the People City Mission, and so I'm glad that he had a little window in his schedule to get in here with me. How you doing, Pastor Tom? Oh, good, Stu. Thanks for having me on. What a pleasure to be on your show. And I, I just admire you uh, 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 doing a half a marathon in the Grand Tetons. I I, I just can't imagine doing that, Stu. Well, the, here's how you can imagine it. Very slowly, yeah. And there, by the way, there there are different stages of of exercise. You know, there's running, yeah, and there's jogging. Then there's I call it kind of poking along, and then after poking along, I think the only thing left is really walking. I could do it in a wheelchair. So there you go. Me. Well, that is what's after walking. <laughs> <laughs> we we uh, we let somebody put us in the stroller and and take yeah. us down there. There so, you go. Yes, yes. You know, I think the last time that we talked. I think it was pretty early into COVID, yeah. which would be, so the better part of two years ago. Yeah. And at that point, I just remember th- talking about, uh, you know, what was, okay, all of us are pastors and institutions and stores, and we're trying to figure out how we're going to do this stuff and how do we do it. And yeah. I just remember very early on, your attitude was, well, I don't know, but there are homeless people and there, <laughs> and you know, there isn't shutting down is not an option. That no. just isn't going to work. Uh, take us back to those early days, a couple of years ago. Yeah, it's pretty scary for us. I think all of my staff, we, uh, we knew we had to stay open 24 seven. You know, a lot of other agencies shut down or they'd hand out sack lunches out the door, but they wouldn't let anybody in their facility. Uh, we had to have 300 people living with us, you know, full time and just go through it. And, uh, we were very scared. We didn't know what COVID was going to do to us. Um, didn't know if our lives were all on the line. And uh, so we were nervous. What we did is we took some early precautions. Um, uh, right at the beginning of it, we started to mask people up before masks were sort of required. Uh, we began to take people's temperatures at each break of lunch, you know, breakfast, dinner. Um, and if they had a temperature, we'd isolate them. But here's kind of the good news. We've gone through the entire pandemic without one breakout. Every shelter in Nebraska has had a major breakout but the People's City Mission. And uh, we did have some people get COVID, but it got to them immediately. We had some staff members that got COVID, um, but we were able to isolate them immediately too and put them out. And so we got through it. Good Lord protected us, but uh, it was was a very scary thing. And so we stayed open 24-7. We took people in and off the streets. Mm. Um, 
Unlike a nursing home where at least they get private rooms, our people are all in bunk beds, at least a men's shelter, and uh, we just we just pushed through it, prayed a lot, made everybody mask up, and uh, uh, it was and it worked. So we were we were very very happy. That that is amazing. I mean, isn't it? I mean, there. And again, I, I we never want to presume upon God. God gives us doctors and medicines and means and oh, methods. Yeah. But but at the end of the day, uh, just being faithful and saying, you know, okay, I we've got people and they've got needs and we got to do something here and, and not doing something is not an option. Right. Uh, that was, uh, again, I, that sounds like love of Jesus to me. Well, we certainly do it for the Lord. And, uh, and it was important for us to be there for the, you know, the homeless people were scared too. They didn't know what to do and uh, yeah. they didn't know what was going to happen to them. We had to keep them calm and, and we actually got quite a bit of compliance on our mask. People wondered how did that work? Well, Homes didn't want to get COVID either, and so they were more than willing to mask up, and and so we 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 were able to institute that, uh, and and you know we're all for the doctors, and boy, we would love to have more medical people involved. However, um, when that's all you got, you lean on what you have, and in our case, the only thing we had was the Lord. So we just had yeah. to simply trust Him and pray to God and believe and f- believe that He called us to help the homeless and He would protect us and. You know, we took some solace from early Christianity when they went into the leper, you know, fields of leper fields and that, and mm-hmm. and many of them didn't get leprosy, and mm-hmm. and they just you just have to brave it out, and it doesn't mean you won't get COVID, it doesn't mean something yeah. can't happen to you, but um, you got to have faith if that's what God called you to do, then He's going to either protect you or what's meant to be is meant to be, but but you you just you just you don't stop. Yeah, yeah. How many, by the way, how many years have you been down at the mission now? Yeah, too many. Too many. Um, yeah. Uh, going on 18 years now, believe it or not. So a long years. time. Yeah. If, as you reflect on those 18 years, uh, how, would you, how would you pigeonhole COVID into that? Were, were they the hardest? Were they the most unique? Were there, is it all, is it all kind of blurred together because it's, it's, it's all hard or, or it's all rewarding or whatever? There have been numerous hard spots at the mission besides COVID, but it was certainly the most unique. Uh, and it was also where we really had to, uh, I think, come to work scared for a longer period of time. You mm-hmm. know, it, it, there's been other things that have popped up, but, you know, to do it, you know, for a year, year and a half before I think we finally calmed down. But I'd say a good solid year, Stu, we came to work every day nervous. Mm-hmm. And so the, just the length of it. And, uh, and it was just hard. Um, you know, the public was very good in terms of giving. Our giving didn't drop, although it's it's been a little bit lower now. We're finding inflation. Our big hit now is inflation, and we can talk about that later. But mm. but during COVID, people were very generous, and so we were able to get through it, and we didn't lose any donations. People wondered if we lost donations. We didn't. Uh, yeah. And so that was helpful. That's you great. Know? You know, talking to a lot of pastors, I heard a lot of pastors say that about their church giving that uh, they they held their own or maybe even made a little bit of progress uh, yeah. during COVID. And I, I don't know, people have more disposable income. They aren't maybe going out to movies and out to eat as much, or is it just they, yeah. they just sense the need? You know, good question. I'm not sure of all of the reasons. I think certainly the lack of activity might have helped uh, put money into other places besides, you know, entertainment or things that often we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it might have been that, brought the seriousness of life about and people started thinking more about that yeah. um, and, and wanting to reach out and be helpful to people yeah. that were in less fortunate positions. That could be a number of factors, but I, I think all around, I heard the same thing with nonprofits, with churches that 
giving didn't drop. Now, I think today we're in a different situation. I am hearing a different story today yeah. with inflation. People are starting to pull back some. Yeah. And uh, so I, I'm waiting to see what happens. But I think both the nonprofits and uh, um, churches might be affected in the next three to six months. And, you know, for us, that's a really dangerous situation because we get, I was sharing before we went on air, we get about 98% of all of our giving from public giving. And we have to raise over $20,000 a day just to keep the mission afloat. Mm -hmm. And that's just keep doing what we're doing. And so we have donations that are slowing a little bit and costs that are going right out of the roof. Um, Our food costs are up 30, 40%. And when you're feeding 300 people every day, it's a lot of money. I know last year we spent over $400,000 with Pegler Cisco alone. I don't know what the bill's going to be this year, but it, but it is astronomical. And so we're just trying to figure out how to navigate that. Yeah, yeah. When people think about the mission, again, your, your trademark uh, identity is, is with uh, serving the homeless and, uh, yeah. uh, and, and so forth. We're going to get into a lot of, you're doing a lot of other things, again, for the marginalized populations of Lincoln and so forth. But that, uh, that is a unique uh, thing that, uh, again, the, the, the numbers of homeless that, that you care for on a regular basis. Yeah. Well, Lincoln is kind of, we, there's, we're in a sad situation in that we're the only homeless shelter. That shouldn't be. You know, Omaha has four shelters, and every one of them, Stu, are bigger than we are. Mm. We would be the fifth biggest shelter in Omaha. Now, they're a little better than twice our size. They house four times as many people as we do, over 2,000 people mm. a night, and they're not cutting edge. And most cities our size house far more people than we do, and they have more than one homeless shelter. Uh, in Lincoln, Nebraska, we're the only actual homeless shelter. Now, there are other groups doing various things, but if you're homeless and you need a place to stay, mm-hmm. uh, we're the only game in town, and, and that probably shouldn't be. And so that puts a lot of pressure on us, and especially when uh, you have to really fund that through public giving because we don't receive very much in grants or support from any state or city or federal government. Um, and so... It, it it puts a lot of strain on us, and if Lincoln continues to grow, you know, we're we're not sure what's going to happen. We're going to try to build a bigger shelter. I'm not sure how and when we're going to be able to do that, but we certainly have run out of room. We're in a 35-year-old building. It's built really for 250 people. We generally house three to 350 a night, and I'm guessing we could house 500 tomorrow if, if we had a better facility. And, mm-hmm. and it, so down the road, we can't keep doing what we're doing. Gotcha. And, and and I don't see anybody else building a shelter. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I wish they would. I think the only two probably groups in the city that are capable of building a shelter would be either Catholic Social Services or uh, Salvation Army. Mm. But I don't think either one of those groups are planning to build a shelter anytime soon. And so I think it really continues to push the mission to have to be sort of the safety net for the city in that way of, you know, if something happens. You know, if your French or poem can't house somebody or some of the other groups, guess where they all come? Yeah. We're sort of that safety net. That you can always come to the mission. And, and so we've served that role for 115 years. Mm-hmm. We're one of the oldest institutions in Lincoln. And yeah. uh, uh, we've always been that place that people can go to. And, and I think everyone in Lincoln kind of knows that. Yeah. And that's sort of helped us keep the mission afloat with donations. Yeah, yeah. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, we want to talk about, again, that's, that's again, the signature ministry that you're known for, but there is so much that you've, you've incorporated in the last 18 years. We want to get into some of that other stuff as well. 
It's a Friendly Fire Saturday here talking with Pastor Tom Barber here at the People's City Mission. And uh, glad to have you along. Don't forget, you're listening to Friendly Fire on the Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 at KLIN. Keeping the topics lively and the conversation civil, this is Friendly Fire with Stu Kurtz on the Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. We are back. It's Friendly Fire Saturday talking with Pastor Tom Barber here at the People's City Mission. And uh, b- before the break, we were talking about, again, your signature uh, me- for 115 years, known for housing the homeless and so forth, feeding the homeless. Um, but uh, one of the things that you've done uh, over the years is you've, you've added services, you've added different things. And as you, as you kind of walk us through the years and some of the things that you've added in, sure. that, again, people may or may not know all the different right. things that you're involved in now. Yeah, no, when I first started, Stu, we were about one and a half million dollars. And, you know, I think we closed a little over $20 million last year. So we've had quite a growth rate mm-hmm. over those 18 years. Um, and it comes from doing a lot of stuff. You know, um, one, we, uh, what we did that was really the big change uh, is our help center. And uh, that's located on 60, uh, 66th and P Street, roughly. Mm-hmm. Um, 600 P Street, I think, is the address. Most people may know where that's at, but it's right behind East Park Theaters. Uh, what happened there is we used to have a thrift store. It was on 18th and O. And most nonprofits have thrift stores. That's what they tend to do. What people may not realize is you don't make a lot of money on a thrift store. Um, if you're Walmart, you know, low prices work because you have high volume. High volume, low prices, you make money. Mm. Low volume, low prices, not so much. <laughs> and uh, and that's what happens in a thrift store for the most part. And so we had a thrift store that was making about 150000 in revenue, maybe 20000 in profit. So we were seeing about two or 3,000 people, or, yeah, about two or 3,000 people at the back door uh, with things people wouldn't take. I call it junk. It, some, it wasn't really good stuff for the most part. And we had that over on N Street right behind the, the mission. We would give it away. Um. Uh, when we first started, it really wasn't a money thing. It was philanthropic. I, you know, kind of being entrepreneurial, I asked the question, well, what if we could sell the bad stuff and give the good stuff away? Mm-hmm. It was just thought, you know. And in asking that question and poking around, we stumbled accidentally, not because we're smart. We're just lucky. Um, uh, but we stumbled in this world of recycling. And here's what we found. All over the United States, you have nonprofits running thrift stores not making a lot of money, but you have for-profits making a fortune. And what they're doing is they're doing recycling. And they put up these donation boxes. You see them across the And they'll find a charity and they'll give them five cents on the dollar. Well, charity's excited about that. They don't own the boxes. They don't do any of the servicing. They're just getting five cents kind of as a marketing thing. They're happy with that. The for-profits making a lot of money on these donations. Mm-hmm. But you, the consumer, are probably being taken advantage of because if after this show, you said, you know, Pastor Tom, I want to give you $100 for the mission. I'll use $5 for the homeless and 95 for administration. Would you give me another $100? Probably not. Probably not. No one listening probably would. But when you throw clothes in those boxes, that's what's happening. So it's it's the donor that's getting ripped off in this whole program. And that happens all over the United States. And and, and so and, and nonprofits not being business people in many cases, they run these thrift stores doing what they can. But you have these for-profit businesses making a lot of money off of donations. Mm. And so we said, wow, well, we think we found a way. So we shut our thrift store down. We started to just simply take everything in and 
and basically give away, sort it, give away the best stuff we could and then recycle what wasn't being taken or what we had too much of. Well, that grew. And as Lincoln found out more and more about what we were doing, that grew more. Last year in 2021, we made $1.5 million recycling, $250,000 in profits. And our numbers went from, what, the two or 3,000 to 25,000 unduplicated people were helping in the city. And now, not only are we giving away clothing and shoes and that, but we give away toys, pots, pans, electronics, a couple million pounds of food. Um, if people want to know more about that, if they mm -hmm. go to YouTube and they just type in People City Mission Help Center, there's a two-minute video to show you the whole thing. But we have like almost looks like Bed Bath & Beyond it's in there, and everything's free. Mm -hmm. And they can take it at will. And we make 10 times more money and help 10 times more people mm -hmm. selling bad stuff rather than good stuff. Mm -hmm. And people are always amazed, but... But it actually is a much better system. So the so the needy here in Lincoln are getting really good stuff. You mm -hmm. know, they're getting the best stuff of the clothing that people donate. And then and we give away up to a thousand pieces of clothing per person per year for each guest we have. So it's not like we're you know, backing off on the clothing. And we still have a lot. And uh, and so we are giving mm -hmm. away a lot of stuff and then we're recycling quite a bit of stuff too. Mm -hmm. Millions of pounds. And mm -hmm. why we're not in the green movement or in the sense of that's not our goal. We're taking probably four million plus pounds out of the landfill every year, and and mm. people may not know that, but we're having a significant impact. That may be more than this whole cardboard thing the city's doing. I'm not sure, but but it's it's a lot of landfill we're we're cleaning oh. up, and and it's just sort of a side benefit. Mm -hmm. But we uh, we're helping a lot of people there, and that's become a major ministry of ours and a major kind of outreach uh, uh, to the community. And we've really able to help people with things, and you know. We talk often about food, which is often is, is an essential and making sure people have food and, and things like that. But, you know, when you give people clothing, diapers, things that they need, that gives them the money to go buy food or to go buy stuff. And so it, mm -hmm. uh, it, more than food is needed if you're really struggling financially. Mm -hmm. It isn't just about food. Most people know, you know, listening. And so we really try to help there. And I think we're sort of the, the dominant force in what I call stuff helping yeah. the, that community. And like I said, I think our numbers are on 25,000 unduplicated people in the city, oh. close to 10% of Lincoln. And we're just giving them a lot of stuff. Everything's free. And again, if people want to know about it, if they just go to their YouTube and type in People City Mission Help Center, uh, they can see it. And it's just an example, Stu, of, of how entrepreneurship can work in the nonprofit world as well as it does the for-profit. You know, yeah. a lot of times people think that in the nonprofit world, you've gone from Kansas to Oz, you know, but but you just went to Wichita because the fact is the the same basic principles that you find in business apply exactly to the nonprofit world. And I've been in both and I found there is no difference. They're the same. You know, they really are. But you don't have a lot of business people in the nonprofit world. Mm -hmm. You have some, but not a lot. And uh, so they don't always realize or even in the churches or different things where they don't they don't understand business that well and so they tend to do things that are less less effective and i think thrift stores are actually aren't that effective because again you're you're usually selling yeah. the good stuff to mm -hmm. people often often not the poor many times yeah. and then the poor are kind of getting what's left over yeah. here in lincoln they're getting great stuff lots of it just a couple of minutes before our second break here yeah. uh they're Okay, you're you're like a unicorn in the nonprofit world because of <laughs> have you caught a lot of things to never unicorn. <laughs> uh, you, you, uh, you are a unicorn, but you're uh, there are very few people who have a business background who say, okay, wait, I could apply this toward 
serving people instead yeah. of just making buckets of money, which I could give money and I could do. I mean, I'm not, I'm not disparaging that. No, no. Praise God for people who run businesses and give money. Sure. And, are, and, and we were all blessed by them. Yeah. But, but how many, uh, what was that just briefly, what was that journey for you to say, wait, I'd like to take my business background and bless this nonprofit. Sure. And in a, in a way that, that a lot of others, maybe they ought to think about this. They ought to consider this. Yeah. Well, it was a journey. I, uh, at first, I didn't realize all that business knowledge would apply to the nonprofit world when I first came to the mission. But I think what I've discovered, both being in at church for a while and in, in the businesses and then in the, in the nonprofit world here, is that what we call business principles aren't business principles. They're organizational principles. That is, organizations tend to behave similarly across types. So it doesn't matter whether you're a church or a, a, a parachurch or a nonprofit or, or a business, things tend to happen in the same. It's like if you don't balance your checkbook, everything happens the same in all of those. So do a lot of other stuff. And I, I think what I've discovered is that organizations, the dynamics that run them, tend to be the same. And we call them business principles only because business got there first because of the profit more. They discovered these organizational principles and they applied them. And so now we call them business principles. But I don't think they're business principles. I think they're organizational principles, market principles. Markets tend to behave similarly across mm. types. And uh, and I, I think that's what I discovered is that really we're not really dealing with that much different. The gravity sort of happens the same way. You know, it's almost like yeah. I laugh whether you jump off a three-story glass building or a 10-story brick building. Guess what? Same thing happens. Yeah. And, uh, and you might fall a little bit longer, but you're, you're going to same thing's going to kind of happen. And, yeah. and I think. Oftentimes, that's really true in, in the nonprofit world, and I, I don't think people really understand that. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's take another break, and then we're going to come back. When we're going to talk also, I want to, I want to develop that just a little bit further, and then also let's talk about there's a lot of other stuff that you're doing down there. Yeah. Uh, so uh, uh, freshen up the coffee, hang tight, more uh, with Pastor Tom Barber and, and myself. Uh, right here on Friendly Fire, uh, this is KLIN, the voice of Lincoln, 1400 AM. 99.3 FM. Interesting topics to kick off your weekend. Looking at the news with an eye of faith. Friendly Fire with Stu Kearns. 1,499.3 KLIN. We are back. It's Friendly Fire Saturday talking with uh, Pastor Tom Barber here of People City Mission, who I have just referred to as a unicorn. Now, if anybody doesn't understand <laughs> what the reference is, again, a unicorn is a rare animal that's very special. So yeah. you're a rare animal who's very special. That's what I meant by that. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. I'm so, honored. I'm honored to be a unicorn. All right. The uh, by the way, there was a TV program called The Unicorn. It was, was it this really? guy who he was a uh, it was uh, his wife had died and he's raising his kids and he's you know he's got a decent job and he's fairly good looking and so that was he was the kind of guy I guess that every woman is looking for. They referred to him as the unicorn. Gotcha. So you're you're the unicorn of the nonprofit world. Uh, if there, before I, we were talking about, uh, again, you're applying uh, just organizational principles to, uh, the mission and, and other nonprofits. If there were, let's say there's, there's a, a business guy out there who's listening today or gal, I mean, I mean, he's a guy in the loosest sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, and they're saying, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm not, but I'm not a pastor and I'm not, I'm sure that I, I don't know. What would you, uh, how would you have them think about this in terms of whether sure. or not they could they could do something, maybe not exactly what you're doing, but something similar? Yeah, well, you know, one of the great ways that business people can really make a difference in the nonprofit world and with just all the needs out there is to be on a board. But when they get on the board, 
don't believe that somehow what's going on in that nonprofit is so radically different than what they're experiencing in their own businesses. And I think if more boards thought more about the organizations they're on as similar to their business experiences, you'd see different kinds of dialogue. But I think they often think, again, they've, they've gone somewhere different. And so they're in, a, in something where their knowledge is maybe not as applicable as it would be if they were sitting on a business board. But I'm here to tell you it is. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and because of that, uh, you know, we've, uh, anyone who's been around you for any length of time knows that you, you have this creative entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, I mean, you've dabbled in all kinds of things to uh, raise awareness and funds and so forth for the, for the mission. And uh, because that's a lot of, again, these are, uh, it was interesting. You mentioned maybe as many as 500 people at any point in Lincoln might need a place to stay. Uh, Good, yeah. Is that, uh, and and where for the people when you're maxed out, uh, and and I know that when the weather is horrible, you guys do amazing things just right. to accommodate as many as you can. But let's say the weather's more like this, and right, and uh, what where where are these where are these people? Sure, good question. Well, it's I, you know our paradigms of homelessness are probably off in many cases. I know mine was before I came to the mission. Um, we think whether we like it or not, at least most people I talk to, that the homeless is some transient guy that that's a homeless person. So they're out on the streets, and like I said, where do they go if there's not the mission? But actually, did you know that uh, that statistically, I think nationally, kids are becoming the biggest homeless group in the country? Mm. And, and and by far, domestic violence is the number one cause of homelessness, not, not drugs or alcohol or transient guys. So what happens in, is that it's, a, it's not a homogeneous market. It's, it's really got a lot of segments to it mental health segments it's got uh, obviously the guys who are transient or struggling with drugs and alcohol certainly as a is a is a segment but probably the biggest segment out there is domestic abuse and mm-hmm. i think that again the federal stat and this was years ago and i'm sure it's probably gone up one in four women are being abused to in the united states and you know maybe in lincoln it's a little less let's say it was one in five because we're a little more religious or more a little more conservative well, 20% of Lincoln's women is more than 20. I mean, what is that? Women are half of Lincoln. That's 150, 20, be 30,000 ladies um, being abused in some way. And even if 5% need to leave home, you know, that's still 1,500, 2,000 people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you look at uh, some of the great organizations we have out there, like French and Home Fresh Start, their capacity altogether isn't more than 100, 120 beds. We've got about 150 beds, not even beginning to meet the need. And what most of these people do is they couch surf. They stay with family or friends or people they know. And in some cases, that's fine. You know, my kids stayed with me. It would be a good situation. I'm sure your kids stay with you. But in some cases, not a good situation. It's a bad situation. But there's nowhere else for them to go. And so, and particularly in Lincoln, we're more of a suburban area. So we have more suburban homelessness than, let's say, L.A., where I come from, where you can see a lot more guys. You know, the transient guys in Lincoln have grown a little bit since I've been there, but it doesn't get up much more with 300, 350 people. Um, if you're a transient guy, you're not going to come to Lincoln unless there's some nexus to our, our place. And, I mean, look at the weather. If you were a homeless guy, why would you stay in Lincoln? I'd go to Florida, California, where you have warm weather. Our panhandling's terrible. We're very conservative. We're really chintzy. So unless you're down by the university, you know, milking the students, you know, trying to get them to do it, it's not a great panhandling place. You can make more money panhandling in other spots. The weather's better in other spots. Even the services, as much as we do a good job here, 
Uh, in some of the, you know, the more bluer states, you get a lot better services. You know, San Francisco, they give you cell phones mm-hmm. if you're homeless. They give you all kinds of stuff. So if I'm a homeless guy, why am I coming to Lincoln, Nebraska? Mm-hmm. And so we are going to attract a few, but we're never going to be a hot spot for transits. Now, that wasn't true when the mission started. When we started back in 1907, we were a hot spot because we had and still have the third largest train station in the country. Mm. And back then, people rode the rails. We called them hobos. Mm. And that was primarily who was homeless. Well, we had a lot of homeless people because we had a big train station. That's where the guys were. And that's why they started the mission in 1907. We were one of, I think, we're the 22nd or 23rd oldest rescue mission in the country. And so why would Lincoln start one way back then? Well, because we had a lot of hobos. And so it used to be guys. We used to have a lot of hobos and people running around, and that used to be who was homeless, and that was the stereotype I think people have brought forward through history. But it isn't true today, mm-hmm. and guys don't ride the rails today. Um, we do have homeless guys, but we don't have a lot. But we do have a lot of ladies being abused in the city, uh-huh. and and that is the thing. And then mental health is another one that's climbing quickly. I would not be surprised in 10 years if domestic violence is number one and mental health is number two and Drugs and alcohol are actually kind of a distant third. Wow. That could be what's happening. And I wouldn't be surprised if kids are half of all the homeless in the next 10 years. Mm. And so when you think of homelessness, it's a changing sort of demographic. And I, I don't, I, and I think we still have old stereotypes. So when you ask, well, where do they go? Well, most of them are staying with family or friends. They're not on the streets. The people on the streets are mainly guys. And they're mainly the guys that are kind of coming and going or living on the streets. And they're not a huge population. If that's all we had in Lincoln... Our size would be more than fine. We easily could accommodate the homeless in Lincoln for many years to come. Yeah. It was just homeless guys. Mm-hmm. But that's not who it is. And uh, they have programs like, obviously, rapid rehousing, various things. But it takes time to get those. You can't rapid rehouse everybody. You need you need somewhere in the meantime for them to go. And, you know, I often say we're kind of like the Red Cross, just a little bit bigger. If the, your house burns down tomorrow, the Red Cross is going to be there to help you immediately. But they're not going to house you for a bunch of time. But they're going to help mm-hmm. you short term. Mm-hmm. We're sort of those guys except on a longer basis, three or four months. So if you're homeless today, you're not going to probably get a government program today or even tomorrow. And that's what homeless shelters do all over the country. You know, they are essential parts of the program because you need a safety net because no matter how much you think you can do something, it takes time to get her done. And uh, and you need somebody in the meantime to be there helping people. And that's what the mission does. And that's, you know, and that's that's what we that's what we do there in the in the homeless section. Yeah, yeah. We're going to take one last break, and then when we come back, we'll do a little shameless plug. And uh, I've got a few other uh, rabbit trails to chase with you. Talking with Pastor uh, Tom Barber here from the People's City Mission. Glad to have you along on a Memorial Day weekend. You are listening to Friendly Fire on The Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. Bringing you local voices to break down the news of the week. Friendly Fire with Stu Kurds on The Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. Welcome back. It's Friendly Fire Saturday. Uh, talking with Pastor Tom Barber here for the People City Mission. And uh, Tom, it is that uh, part of the program where we always do a shameless plug. So I say to you, plug. plug away. Give me, give me websites and addresses and oh, gotcha. everything that we need to know to connect with the mission. Yeah, you bet. Well, if people want to connect with us, first thing you do is our webpage, which is pcmlincoln.org. It stands for People City Mission, just pcmlincoln.org. And we have information there. Got a donate button if people want to donate. We also have a very active Facebook page, and I'm told we're also on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, I don't twit. I'm not a, I'm not a 
social media guy. I'm 70, so I, I have young millennials and doing all that for me. But I am told we're really hot and active there. Have one young lady who's putting videos on in that, and so uh, we, we've got quite a bit going on. But that's beyond my pay grade. I don't I don't get too involved with that stuff. Um, but I hear it's really quite active. All right, PCMLincoln.org, and uh, and again the, we had. Uh, you know, we're we were talking a little bit about Give to Lincoln Day this week, and, yeah. it, and it, brought, it sheds a light on a lot of different programs that are out there. But, um, but when you're trying to raise over twenty thousand dollars a day, yeah. uh, again, Give to Lincoln Day has its purpose. That's great, but that it ain't going to cut it. You need you need people who will give regularly, and, uh, and 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 we do. You know, we're lucky. We have a little over thirty thousand families that fund us every year. We have about a hundred and forty churches. And they're about 1% of my budget. Not big, but they still help. Mm -hmm. And then we have businesses that help. And our recycling business Mm -hmm. that we're doing is also helping some with about a million and a half, $2 million. And so between all of it, we we are able to kind of keep afloat. You know, we're we're not looking to make any money. We're just looking to pay the bills and do what we're trying to do. And so far, we've been very generous. We have a lot of people. We figure about 40% on Lincoln is either giving us something or getting something from us. So our outreach in the community is pretty intense. Yeah. Um, a lot of small donations. Our average donation is only $3 million. And you th- or three much. <laughs> no. I average three, $300. Gotcha. And a $300 on a, on a $20 million budget is our average donation. So wow. we have a lot of people just giving us small amounts of money, and that really works well for us. Yeah. I remember back in the uh, – I would, used to work for Campus Life, Youth for Christ in the day, and – this was back in the seven, you know, late seventies, early eighties, and yeah. and you get a lot of the, uh, you know, elderly people sending in an envelope monthly with five or ten dollars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh, but you know, the widows might. They were given what they could, yeah. and you put it all together, and somehow it it well, happened. We, I've said since I started um, almost eighteen years ago, it doesn't pe- get take people giving a lot. It just takes a lot of people giving a little bit, and. Yeah. We started a campaign, and it's still going. We call it 251, but with inflation, we now just call it uh, buy a meal because it keeps going up. But yep. we're basically saying for right now the price at 270, 275, I think is what we're asking for right now. If everybody, starting with you, if you, Stu, would buy one meal for one homeless person once a month, price of a cup of coffee, and we said, Stu, would you do that? Just that's all we, we don't want any more from that. Just $2.77. Would you donate that? We'll find 22,000 more people like you, and if we can, we can feed the entire homeless population in Lincoln, Nebraska, on your donation of $2.71 or 72 cents. Mm. Uh, and, and we really can do it. We're up to, I don't know, seven or 8,000 people have kind of taken us up on it so far. We're going to keep mm. trying to grow it. But the point of that whole endeavor is it doesn't take people getting massive amounts of money. If everybody would just do a little bit, and most anybody, college students, you name it, can afford the price of a cup of coffee. Yeah, and and if people would just give, I am guessing. My guess is half of Lincoln doesn't give at all. The mm. biggest market in Lincoln are non-giving givers, mm. and so you you know if, if you want to penetrate that market, you got to start with something inexpensive. Yeah, and uh, and that's probably where that is. Try to kind of penetrate that market of people who really don't give anything. Yeah, you know, they don't have to, and and it's it's it's, it's an easy easy thing to do. Yeah, yeah. Hey. One, before we're done here, I want to talk about one of the initiatives. I'm not sure how how old this is, but the uh, the I'm free, I forget the name of it, the shoes initiative with Cornhusker Bank. Yeah, uh, one uh, day John, without shoes. A day without shoes. Uh, John Dittman is and, and Alice are yeah. old, longtime friends, and yeah, and so we appreciate all they do to try to work with the community. And yeah, and this has been how many years has that been going on now? 
a day without 11, shoes. I think. This is our 11th year. 11 years. So, and again, maybe people have heard about it. Maybe they haven't heard about it. But it's, it's, a, it's a not a complicated thing, but really mm-hmm. a huge, huge difference maker. Yeah. It, well, it's kind of how we've based our, our help center. And we've told people kind of what's similarly with One Day Without Shoes, which is one way to help is to give away something you don't want. That really doesn't take much. And so most people look in their closets and they have at least one, maybe two pair of shoes in pretty good shape that they're not using. Mm. And the point is, wow, if you give those shoes to somebody in need, you can actually make a big difference in someone's life with something that really has very little meaning to you. In other words, it's really not costing you much at all. And you can make a big difference with a very low cost item. Mm. But that's true with clothing. That's true with anything, you know, and we all have stuff in our closet. We don't wear, we don't need. And there are things we can do to be helpful, you know, that don't require any huge sacrifice. It can be a very little thing, but if we just take the time, the sacrifice is to put it in a bag and take it down to the mission or to one of our toss boxes and throw it in there. And yep. and if you do that, you're gonna you're gonna literally help people and change lives. And it's with stuff that otherwise just gonna be hanging in your closet doing nothing, mm-hmm. or in you know shoes in your closet doing nothing. Mm-hmm. So there's just Everybody can do something, Stu, you know, or volunteer your time. It's not just about money. What nonprofits need are resources. They don't need money. They need resources. Money is one of the resources, but things um, uh, that they can give away, they need. They need your time. Time is very valuable. You know, we haven't talked about but our free clinic, which we sort of slowed down. Did you know six years ago when that was at its full steam, we were the third largest clinic in the country, hmm. and we were doing it for free. We were seeing 18,000 patient visits with zero cost to the patient, zero cost. We're using all volunteers. We were paying for one nurse practitioner out of our own money. We had to eventually kind of pull back because with the homeless growth, we couldn't keep doing it. But we were running a clinic that was doing more than other clinics getting federal money mm-hmm. as far as with the with with the, with the, with the, with the, with the, with the uh, uninsured. And, and we were giving pretty good health care away. And now we're still running a dental. We still have like 12 dentists. Uh, Dr. Free, you might know some of the doctors they're out doing, they're doing root canals, tooth implants, dentures, all for free for people. Mm. And uh, it's not costing them anything, but it's not costing us anything either because they're volunteering their time. And Mm. so, you know, volunteerism is a powerful thing. And we all have something we know that can be worth something to a nonprofit. So Mm -hmm. everybody can do something if they want to. And and the big thing we have, I think, in, in our society, we have a great community here in Lincoln. But like I said, in most communities, half or more don't give or do much of anything. If you could get 70, 80 percent of your community doing something, mm-hmm. you you wouldn't eliminate poverty because poverty is always going to be here. But you would eliminate the impact of poverty big time. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there will still be people that struggle financially, but they wouldn't struggle that much. And I think we look to the government, but the government is can only do so much in in in. I don't think that's where the goods are. The stuff is in the in the public. I mean, the government actually gets all their money and resources from the public. The public has all the stuff. Yeah. The public has all the money. It has all of the clothing. It has all the volunteer time. The biggest amount of resources have always been and still are in the public. They're not in the government. They're mm-hmm. in the public. Yeah. And uh, And if we could get the public engaged, we could have a profound impact on poverty. But instead, I think what we do is often we just kind of look to federal government to grants and to various things, kind of the way we do it. And, and it's a very narrow system, and it's a great system in the sense of a lot of people getting helped, but it, it's limited. And a lot more people could be helped yeah. if, if we would simply 
kind of focus more on the public where the goods really are. Yeah, yeah. About 90 seconds left. There were, um, years ago, you said something to me about something of this, like this. You said, you know, if every church would take one or two families yeah, and just kind of adopt them and come alongside them and... and Massive uh, and, amount and, of help. And, and tutor them and, and, and just mentor them. In massive. Life. Churches could have done massive amounts for the, for the homeless, yeah. uh, but they just haven't. Yeah. What would it take to, uh, and what do you think, I mean, in a, okay, maybe we're just, you know, we're in sin and we need to repent, but no. what is the biggest fear you think that people have when they, I mean, I think sometimes you just say, oh, I couldn't do what Tom does. I couldn't do that at the mission. I, what, what is the, what are the biggest fears you think that people have to overcome? One is a stereotype of who's homeless, but two, it's being taken advantage of. Nobody wants to be taken advantage of. Yeah. And the feeling is if I help you, you're going to take advantage of me and nobody wants to be, yeah. but but the fact is, until you reach out and help, the people that are going to take advantage of you are in survival mode because they don't think anybody cares. And so it's a vicious cycle. I don't want you, Stu, to take advantage of me. You don't think anybody loves you. And we get into this vicious cycle, and so nothing happens. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for taking time to sure. come down here and, and talk about what's going on. You got any special plans here for uh, Memorial Day weekend? Yeah, I'm flying out of here Sunday to Denver. I'm taking two of my granddaughters to Disney World for for oh. seven days. So yeah, we're going to be oh. down there. They wanted that's where they wanted to go. So I I am totally jealous of that. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. Uh, I hope uh, you avoid getting sick on the rides like I sometimes do. Yeah, well, I probably will. They're going to run me ragged. I'm going to have to be running around for 12 or 13 hours in that hot sun. But, you know, I have eight grandkids, and we take two of them at each at a time to do something special with Papa and Grandma. And so this we got two now we're going to do. And oh, that's awesome. We have a good time. Have a great time. Thanks. I leave you saying, as I always do, to think about it and talk about it. We'll see you next week.